Jesse could tell you lots of stories about how good I am at not noticing the small details around the house. Cabinet doors get left open. Coffee cups get left in some random place in our house. I'll even clean up all of the dishes and do all of them except for one or two that I just will leave sitting there ignored. Sometimes I've even put the milk where the cereal goes and the cereal in the fridge, getting it all backwards. But maybe one of my all-star moments of not noticing something was not actually at home. It was a random morning several years ago when I came up to the office before anybody else was around here at the church. And this was back before we took down the old Delmar house where our playground is now. And if you were ever in that house, then you might know that I had this small study in a little bedroom upstairs that I would use to pray and write in the morning. And on this particular morning, I drove into the parking lot early. I walked up to the front door of the house. I let myself in. Then I walked on up to that room slash office. I lit a candle as I often do. And then I went about my normal rhythm for the day. A little time of prayer, some study, some reading, reflecting on the work that I had to do for that day. I think I was probably up there for at least an hour, maybe more, before I finally noticed it. There was absolutely no electricity in the entire building. You know, just a small detail, right? Of course, someone else might have noticed that the electricity was off. I'm sure Jesse would have noticed it when there were no lights on. Somebody else might have noticed it when they plugged in their computer and it didn't actually start charging, or maybe they would have just noticed it by the fact that it was cold in the house and the furnace wasn't running that morning, but no, I was just sort of obvious or oblivious to it, working away in the dark, in the cold. It's funny how that can actually happen to any of us in different sort of ways, where you're completely unaware, distracted as you are by all the things you're so focused on already because they are big and important things, things that need your attention, and yet you are missing the essential thing. There's no light guiding you. There's no warmth keeping you soft. But you keep working and acting as if everything is absolutely normal. It's a precarious place to be because when you're missing essential things, you're likely to end up betraying the very thing that you're working on in the first place. I think that's what's happening in our story from Luke this morning, and it actually happens in a couple different ways. First, we have this story about the man with the withered hand that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And it's one of those moments where, yes, Jesus is teaching us about the Sabbath, but it's even more than that, he's reclaiming it. But this story is actually about more than just Sabbath. It's about the way that we start to betray our faith in God, even as we are practicing our faith in God, especially when we're in the midst of a power outage. Now, to catch all of that, it's really helpful to remember what the Sabbath was for 
in the first place. In the Old Testament, there are actually two basic reasons given for keeping the Sabbath. The first is in Exodus, and it tells us that the Sabbath was rooted in the story of creation itself. God created for six days, and on the seventh day, God rests. And the rabbis will point out that the seventh day itself was actually part of the creation process because the scriptures actually read, on the seventh day, God finished the work. In other words, doesn't, God doesn't actually finish creation on the sixth day and then just check out on the seventh day. No, the seventh day itself is when creation is finally completed, which is to say then that rest and restoration is essential to what God is creating. It's not this afterthought. It's actually part of creation. God doesn't create and then rest. No, he finished the creation in the resting itself. Which means then that Sabbath is actually one of the ways we don't neglect the work of participating with God's creation in the world. It's actually one of the ways that we do the work of participating with God's creation in the world. It's how we participate in this holy rhythm of God. Resting and worshiping is part of creation itself. They're part of life giving, not separate from it. But the Pharisees seem to have lost sight of that life-creating nature of the Sabbath. They've gotten so caught up in the shoulds and oughts of Sabbath-keeping and the shoulds and oughts of being God's people that they are actually destroying the very thing they're trying to protect. That's such a common tendency in us. Really, in anything that any of us hold tightly to, we have these convictions And these expectations about the way things should be, and we're ready to pounce when people do not live up to them. It happens, you know, in our religion. It happens in our politics. It happens in our families. We get so caught up in our own convictions about shoulds and oughts that we do not realize our interior house is growing cold. We get so passionate about our convictions that we don't even notice that we ourselves are in the dark. And when that happens, we can no longer tell the difference between God's righteousness and what's really our own self-righteousness. It's a precarious place to be because our deep convictions can begin to do more to create death than life. It's a trap I think any of us can fall into and a trap that Jesus is exposing in the Sabbath healing. But that's not all that is wrapped up in the Sabbath healing. There was another reason that the Old Testament gives for practicing Sabbath, and Jesus is reclaiming that too. Deuteronomy says that we're going to keep the Sabbath because we ourselves were once slaves in Egypt. In other words, Sabbath is supposed to keep us from becoming enslaved to our economy, choosing rest, choosing to break from work, teaches us that we are more than bricklayers. It's a reminder to us that we are human beings, 
not human doings. We are worth so much more than just our productivity. And by the way, so is our neighbor. And so is that drunk who lives across town. And so is that immigrant who picks food all day on our farms. And so is that housebound, homebound family member we sometimes forget. Sabbath, it reminds us that you and me and every human life is worth so much more than what we can or cannot do, than our value to our economy. It's a reminder that every life is sacred in and of itself because every life is an expression of the divine. Which is to say then that Sabbath is actually about human dignity. And Deuteronomy is very insistent that it is for everyone. It's not just about you. The Sabbath is also for your children and for your slaves and for your animals, Deuteronomy says. It and yes, they, it even says specifically in Deuteronomy, Sabbath is for the immigrants in your community so that they can all have a day of rest because all of them are holy. Because remember, people of God, you know what it was like to be enslaved. Don't become the enslaver. In other words, God will not allow God's people to reduce anyone's life to an economic calculation. You see, Sabbath was a justice issue. It was the first labor laws on the books, but the Pharisees have sort of forgotten that detail that powers the Sabbath. Or at least they're not too concerned about it right now. They're more concerned about the rules of doing it right, and they're feeling a little threatened by Jesus, they are certainly not in that day worried about that particular man with the withered hand. As as far as they're concerned, he's not actually the issue right now. In fact, he was never really the issue. After all, he's kind of useless, his withered hand and all. He's kind of a, a drain on their society. No need to let him be a drain on their religion, too. Besides, it's not like he has to get healed on this particular day, right? I mean, he could wait a while while they sort of figure things out. He could wait to be healed. Didn't have to happen on the Sabbath, you know. What was important that day was to practice the Sabbath. That's how our minds work when we're in a blackout. There's just not enough light to help see us help us see clearly. There's simply not enough warmth to keep our hearts supple and soft. And so Jesus decides it's past time to turn on the light. That's what his healing is all about. Jesus asks the question before all of them to draw their attention about what is right and wrong to do on the Sabbath. And then he draws everybody's attention to this man with the withered hand and he intentionally heals him in front of them. Jesus is flashing on the light. Remember the Sabbath Because God rested on the seventh day, Exodus says. The Sabbath is about creating life. Remember the Sabbath because you were once enslaved, Deuteronomy says. Sabbath is about justice for all people and that all life is sacred. 
Apparently, the Pharisees were so busy practicing the Sabbath that they had stopped remembering the Sabbath. It's so easy to do with anything, really, especially when we're distracted and disconnected. We think we're we're just being faithful, doing our thing, but we don't realize that the power is off. And all that spiritual practice and devotion to our faith and passion for justice, all of it might just be doing more to keep us blind than to help us see. See, the Sabbath healing is a moment where Jesus is exposing another great temptation, this great betrayal that can happen in the life of any religion. It's the betrayal of separating out our own devotion to God from God's great devotion for the world. We separate the two. Our devotion to God gets disconnected from God's devotion to the world. But Jesus, he won't let us do that. We don't get to cloister our pious practices or our devotion to our faith and keep that somehow separate from God's concern for God's creation, God's great concern for life itself. We don't get to separate the two, but sometimes we try to, or we start to do it without even realizing it. Well, there's one other portion of our scripture reading today that I haven't actually mentioned, and that was that whole last part about the 12 disciples, and it kind of seems a little disconnected from all the rest of this. I I know that, but it's actually not disconnected. I don't think it is anyway. You, You may have noticed that the very end of that list of the 12 ends rather ominously, reminding us about Judas, reminding us that even one of Jesus's closest disciples will betray him. It's almost like this subtle little footnote, or or like Luke is sort of winking at us, saying, hey, it's not just the Pharisees that end up betraying what God was actually trying to do. It happened to one of the 12. It could happen to you, but it doesn't have to. Because right between that Sabbath controversy and the reminder of Judas's betrayal and the 12, we have this one little verse where Jesus models a different kind of attention. Luke ever so artfully inserts this one verse to help us keep our house warm and our lights on and to notice the essential things. Connecting these two stories is verse 12, where it says, Now, in those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. Apparently, Jesus understood just how easy it is to get distracted and to be about the work of your life and have no idea that the power is off. To be thinking that you are following God while you end up actually betraying God. Jesus, I think, knew how easily that could happen. And so he withdraws to the mountain to pray. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. Did you catch that? Now, during those days, Luke writes, it was part of his practice. It's the way that Jesus lived in those days. It's the way he stayed centered 
amongst all of that. It's the way he stays connected to the source and power of his life's work. Now, during those days, Jesus went off to pray. It's the way that I think Jesus was able to actually hold together both great courage and great love. He was able to hold together both this deep conviction and profound grace. You see, Jesus, he had this beautiful way of holding together his devotion to the Father and God's devotion to the world. And Jesus would need that, right? And the thing is, if Jesus needed that, then certainly we do too. If we want the interior of our house to stay warm and the light within to shine to the world, then we have to keep going off to be on that mountain with God, to be centered, to remain connected. Otherwise, you might just sit in your office working away, not even aware that your eyes are growing squinty. Your hands and your heart are getting cold because you, you have lost connection to the central power of your life. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are so easily distracted. And we confess to you on this day that we can be driven by our own deep convictions and lose sight of your love. And we confess that sometimes we don't know how to live out your love for the world. And so we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Keep our hearts open to you. Help us see the world with your eyes and see one another with your love. Help us to find a rhythm, even in these strange times, to be centered in you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.